7 through 11. This is Paul writing to us and says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. It's God's word for God's people. Paul writes to us and tells us that everything compared to Christ has been rubbish. It's all nothing. The greatest thing in his life is the fact that he knows Christ. And then he says, I want to know Christ more and the power of his resurrection, even if that means I have to fellowship and share in his sufferings. Christ is his passion. It is his desire. It's his obsession. What is your obsession? Webster's defined obsession as an idea or a thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes someone's mind. Synonyms for it are a fixation, a passion, a mania, a compulsion, a preoccupation, infatuation, an addiction. What is your obsession? Some time ago, Michelle and I went out to eat, and uh, as we were sitting at the table, I had a Dallas Cowboy hat on. I've told you guys I'm a Cowboy fan and everything. And um, I was sitting there minding my own business, and a waiter walked by, not our waiter, but just a waiter walked by and saw my hat. And he began to ask me about the Cowboys. He said, are you a Cowboy fan? And I was like, absolutely, isn't everybody and everything. And so uh, we started having this conversation about the Cowboys. And, you know, he would say, you know, this was in the summer. And so he was like, you know, how do you think they're going to do this year? And, you know, talking about this play and this trade and this and that and everything. And, and then he would go on and do his business. And then he would come back by our table. Remember, he's not our waiter. And then he would ask me, something else about the Cowboys and a little bit more conversation. He would go on, he'd come back, and the conversation got a little bit more personal, a little bit more in-depth, all revolving around the Cowboys. Fan, you know, finally, he sits there, he, he looks at Michelle and says, can you scoot over? And has her scoot over, and he sits down in the booth with us, and now we're having this conversation and find out that he actually used to live in Texas and used to go where they had training camp, and, and I mean, he started getting getting into the team about things that I didn't know. I mean, he's talking about the third string offensive lineman and where he went to school and his marital problems and, and all this stuff. And I mean, he's talking about people I've never heard of. And I mean, he is into the deeps of it and everything. And you could tell he is absorbed with this. And finally, he looks at me and he tells me, he says, you know, we have a Dallas Cowboy fan club that meets here in the triad. 
And I was like, no, I did not know that. And he said, we get together every Sunday to watch the games during the season. And I just told him, well, I normally have to work on Sundays and everything. And, and you know, he said, well, any time, if you have time, you come and join us. And, and he said, but now here's the catch. We wear uniforms to watch the game. And I was like, excuse me. And he said, yes. He said, we wear the whole uniform. If they're in the whites, we wear the white. If they're in the blue, we wear the blue. We have the helmets. We dress up all in attire, and, and we, we go and we watch the games together. Now, I like the Cowboys, <laughs> but I am not going somewhere dressed up in the whole uniform to watch the game. That is a level of fandom and obsession and passion that is beyond me. But obviously, it was what consumed him. We all have things that consume us, that we're known for, that we have a passion for. Some of you know that, that I have an obsession with the Krispy Kreme donut. It is a passion of mine, not the gas station kind that you get when your blood sugar's teetering around 300. I'm talking about, you know, the coming off the rack with the glaze hot and everything. That is the heavenly manna that God fed the children of Israel with and everything. It is a passion. It is an obsession. <laughs> there we go. We're going to have church now and everything. So what is your obsession? The centerpiece of life has to be Jesus. And until Jesus becomes your obsession, until he becomes what preoccupies and intrudes your mind, until he becomes the fixation and the passion of your life, everything will be out of place and out of order, and life will seem to have no purpose. Nothing in life will fit together until Jesus becomes your obsession. Just as the sun is the center of the solar system and everything revolves around it and orbits around it, Jesus, the sun, the S-O-N, is the center of all creation and should be the center of our life. And when Jesus is not the center of life, everything shifts and everything gets out of orbit and moves out of kilter. God is not so much about fixing things that have gone wrong in our lives as he is about finding us in our brokenness and giving us the person of Jesus Christ. Everything in all creation is obsessed with Jesus. So what thought preoccupies your mind? What is your passion? What is your compulsion? What is your addiction? What is your fixation? What would others say is your obsession? It's interesting to me that when you look at the Trinity and, and, and you can't explain the Trinity and it's, it's a hard concept for us to grasp this mutual relation between the three persons of the Godhead, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what is amazing to me is that God the Father in the New Testament only speaks twice audibly that we know of and both times at 
the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration of Jesus, his words are, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. Whenever the father speaks in the New Testament, he speaks of the son. He's preoccupied with him. Jesus is foremost on his heart. Scripture says that God the father will exalt God the son to the highest place and give him the name that is above all names and then you learn that Jesus speaks of the spirit when the spirit comes and he says that the advocate when he comes he will have one testimony and that testimony will be about the son he says that he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you the Holy Spirit glorifies and magnifies and unveils the person of Jesus Christ to us sometimes we think the spirit's job is to convince us and the Spirit does that, but how does the Spirit do that? He does it by revealing to us the person of Jesus Christ and a better way of life and a better uh, hope in life. He reveals to us Jesus. In the Trinity, there is this obsession with one another, and the Father lifts up the Son, and the Spirit lifts up the Son, and the Son lifts up the Father and the Spirit, but there is this obsession. What is your obsession? Bible tells us in heaven that all the angels worship Jesus. Hebrews 1.16 say the angels worship him. Revelation tells us that the voice of the angels, thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand, encircle the throne along with all the living creatures and the elders, and they all join together, and they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, strength and honor and glory, and praise every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea they all sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb praise honor and glory and power forever and ever sometimes when we talk about heaven we talk about mansions on the hilltop and we talk about streets of gold but those things mean nothing in heaven because the bible points us a picture of heaven and what heaven is obsessed with they're not gates of pearl and streets of gold and mansions over the hilltop the obsession of heaven is Jesus Christ the Lamb of God they're constantly worshiping him and everything falls down before him because he is the passion and the obsession and the fixation for everything that is in the heavenly realms even right now as we worship all of heaven is worshiping the person of Jesus Christ the Holy Lamb of God so what is your obsession Bible tells us that all of creation is obsessed with Jesus. The universe and all we know was created by him. The Bible says that God spoke the world into existence. John tells us that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The world was made through Christ and in Christ. In addition, all things in heaven and earth are held together by Christ. 
Paul will write to us in Colossians and say, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things he holds them together. He is the obsession of creation. And what's even more interesting, when you look at the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, you can look in the New Testament and a lot of in John and you can find how Jesus is the fulfillment for everything that happens in creation. The first day God says let there be light and Jesus will testify that I am the light of the world. The second day, he will separate the water from the sky, from the water on the earth. He will separate the firmaments of water. And Jesus will declare and testify that I am the living water. On the third day, he creates land and vegetation, and Jesus will say, I am the vine. On the fourth day, he will create the sun, the moons, the stars, and Jesus will be called the bright and morning star. On the fifth day, he brings forth life, and he fills the air with the birds, and the sea fills with fish, and Jesus will say, I am the life. On the sixth day, he brings forth all the other animals, and he creates mankind, and Jesus will say, I am the Lamb of God. Scripture will call him the second Adam. On the seventh day, God will rest, and Jesus will say that he is the Sabbath. All of creation is fulfilled in the purpose of person of Jesus Christ. He is written all over creation, and it should not surprise us that the Bible tells us that all of creation is longing and groaning for Jesus Christ and his sons and his daughters to be revealed so that it can be let free from the bondage and the captivity and the corruption that houses it and chains it. Jesus is the obsession of all creation. So this morning I ask you, what is your obsession? Amen. Scripture tells us that it is obsessed with Jesus. Jesus says of the whole Old Testament that these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Sometimes we fall into this trap and we think, well, that's Old Testament like it doesn't matter. You can't understand Jesus without the Old Testament because he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ. It is obsessed with him. And it's obvious when you get to the New Testament, you read the four Gospels, they're all about Jesus. Their pages are about his life. And the closest thing we have to a biography, in them we find his birth, the one story from his childhood, the parables he taught the countless miracles that he performed, the horror of the crucifixion, and the hope and the wonder of the resurrection. Acts is how he ascended to heaven and how his body, the church, began to spread across the world. And the apostles' message throughout the Acts is not a plan of salvation. It's not a Roman road, and it's not a theology or a set of doctrines. It is a message about a person, Jesus Christ, and how he has been raised from the dead. The day after 
Pentecost, 3,000 people come to Jesus and they come into the fellowship and to the apostles and the apostles continue to teach them. And what is it that they teach these 3,000 on that day after Pentecost? What does the church emphasize over and over through the book of Acts? It's not church growth, it's not leadership, it's not family values, it's not community involvement, it's not end time prophecies. Scripture tells us that in Acts 5, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stop preaching and teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was their obsession. What is your obsession? When John sat down near the end of his life and began to write letters back to the church, he would begin his letter by saying, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our eyes and which we have touched with our hands, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. John says, I'm going to tell you about that what I have seen, that which I have heard, that which I have touched. I'm going to tell you about the person of Jesus Christ. He is my obsession, and he is what I want you to know. What is your obsession? There's no doubt that Paul is obsessed with Jesus. You read these words where he talks about how everything that he thought was his prophet is now considered a loss for the sake of Christ. And then he talks about how he wants to know Christ. It is his obsession. It's all he can talk about. This past summer we were at the beach on vacation and I was up late. And flipping through channels and, and found like the local channel and there was a guy on there preaching and I listened to a sermon for a little bit and probably about 15-20 minutes he never mentioned the name of Jesus Christ not a once compare that to Paul who in his letters and he writes Romans chapter 1 in the first nine verses he references Jesus Christ 11 times in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the first 10 verses, there's 13 references to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, in the first five verses, there's five references to Jesus. In Galatians, in the first four verses, there's four references to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, the first 23 verses, there's 26 references to Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1, 30 verses, 20 references to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, in the first 29 verses, there's 30 references to Jesus. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, planted most of the first Gentile churches in the first century. He was consumed with the crucified reigning Lord. His heart was obsessed with Jesus. Jesus pours forth from his lips, from his pen. It oozes out of every pore. The scripture tells us that the Father and the Spirit are proclaiming and professing the Jesus Christ. The angels that are worshiping him in all of heaven. Creation is obsessed with him the apostles are obsessed with him Paul constantly points to him they're obsessed with Jesus the spotlight of heaven and earth never leave him he is the melody and the harmony and the rhythm and the tempo of the music behind all things the heavens and earth sing his song and play his tune because they are obsessed with him what is your obsession 
What does it mean? It means that Jesus is more than just notes on a page. When I was pastoring, uh, we went through a time, basically the whole time I was there, that we struggled with music. And, and so I got the bright, bright idea. I'd always wanted to do this and never done it. I was going to play the piano, and I decided I was going to teach myself to play the piano. And went out, and this was back in the day when the four dummy books were all popular and everything. And so I went out and bought piano for dummies and uh, had the sanctuary to myself and everything. So I decided I was going to go and teach myself to play the piano. Now, I knew one song on the piano. I'd learned it when I was in youth group for a youth talent show. It was Mary Had a Little Lamb. My best friend was like really musical, and he taught me how to play it. And I could play it, you know, fine middle C, and I could play it with one finger and everything, and then I could play the notes. What he did was he was talented, and he had like a drum machine and a synthesizer and stuff. So I was playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, my little one note, you know, one finger thing. And he did all these chords and all these things around it that made it actually sound pretty cool. He had the drum machine going to it and everything. We, we, were, we were rocking out to Mary Had a Little Lamb for the youth talent show and everything. I could play one note, or more than one note, but with one finger, I could play the notes that he taught me. I could not do anything else. I knew the notes. And, and, and you have seen people before sit down at the piano or on the guitar and they can look at the notes and they can play the notes that are there. And then you have seen people that know how to play the piano or the guitar and they can sit down and they can play it. And they can make it sing and they can make it do things because they're not just stuck to notes on a page. The music is a part of them. They can hear it. They can feel it. It's in their heart. It's coming out of them. It's more than just the notes on a page. Sometimes we follow Jesus like notes on a page. Sometimes following Jesus, we want a list of best practices, and we come in and we want to know the bottom line. Sometimes we come to church hoping to get instruction, a list of things to do, to not do, to make life more manageable. We look at it like it's a cookbook, like there's a formula to it, like if we do this, this is the result we're going to get. That's notes on a page. As a pastor, I can tell you notes on a page, but what I can't give you is passion. What I can't give you is obsession. What I can't give you is the fun and the adventure and the thrill of a life that is consumed with Jesus. Only the Spirit can do that. And what we need is a work of the Spirit. To where Jesus Christ is not just about following rules and He's not just about notes on a page, but He is an obsession. He is our heart's beat. He is our heart's desire. He is what is compelling us. He is what we are just consumed with, what we are addicted with. What we need is the scales to fall off of our eyes so that we see the infinite greatness of Jesus, a spellbounding glimpse of Jesus by our hearts that wipes everything else off the table because he's better than everything else. A person fully obsessed with Jesus who 
knows him well, who is in touch with him through daily fellowship and can boldly say, Christ is all I need. He's all I want. He's all our desire. We need to once again be touched by the Spirit to where we can say, you can take away everything from me as long as I have Christ. You can take away my gifts. You can take away my possessions. You can take away my ministry. You can take away the signs and the wonders and whatever sense of presence that may be around. You can take away my ability to read in every spiritual and religious pursuit, but as long as I have the person of Jesus Christ, I have what I need. Until we get there, church, we're not going to have revival. We're not going to see lives changed. As long as we look at Jesus and say, what's the bottom line? What's the notes on a page? It's when Jesus becomes our obsession, our passion, our addiction. I mean, how many of you would have got married if, if on the day you got married, you stood before the, the pastor, the judge, magistrate, wherever it was, and, and your spouse looked at you and said, what's the bottom line? What I got to do to keep you happy and just kind of keep you off my back? What's the bottom line I have to do? What's the bare minimum? How many of you would have been gung-ho to get married? But when we get married, we expect full obsession. We expect that, 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 that our spouse is saying, I'm all in with this. You're going to be my passion. We say it in the vows, forsaking all others. I'm clinging to you. If we're rich, we're poor, that doesn't matter. If we're healthy, we're sick, that doesn't matter. I am committing myself to you. If we expect it in our marriages, do you not think Jesus expects it? in that relationship. That's why marriage is a picture of the relationship between us and Christ. It's a saying to one another, I'm all in with you. Forsaking, Lord, I may be rich, I may be poor, I may be healthy, I may be sick. Whatever the circumstances, Lord, I am in with you. I am obsessed with you. Church, We need a reconversion to who Jesus is. He's more than just somebody who died for you. That's notes on a page. We need to be reminded that he's not just Savior and Lord. That's, that's all inspiring and who he is, but he's so much more. He's not just Savior and Lord, but, but, but he's also our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he, he's also our advocate that stands before the Father pleading our case. He's our mediator. He is our bridegroom. He is our conqueror. He is our lion and our lamb. He is our sacrifice. He is the manna that we are fed every day. He is our rock. He is the living water that flows in us. He is our food and our drink and our good and abundant land. He is our dwelling place and our Sabbath and our new moon and our jubilee. 
He is our new wine and our feast and our aroma and our anchor and our wisdom and our peace and our comfort and our healer and our joy and our glory and our power, our strength, our wealth, our victory, our redemption. He is our prophet, our priest, our kinsman, redeemer, our teacher, our guide, our liberator, our, our, our deliverer, our prince, our captain, our vision, our sight, our beloved, our way, our truth, our life, our author and finisher, our beginning, our end, our age to age, our alpha, omega, from eternity to eternity. He's our all in all. Is he our obsession? So church, what are you obsessed with this morning? What would people say is your addiction, your fixation, your compulsion? What would people testify they just can't get enough of that? It's what they talk about. It oozes out of them. Would it be a donut? Would it be a football team? Or would it be the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ? As the praise team comes, Reverend H.W. Johnston was the first missionary sent out from the Westland Methodist Church to Sierra Leone. After he died on the field, they found these words written in his journal. It simply said, The Lord being my helper, I do this day consecrate to the Lord and lay upon his altar not to be mine any longer, only as the Lord's will it. But I lay on the altar my wife, my home, my child, my possessions, my papers, my church, my friends, my reputation, my relatives, my plans for this life, my convictions of right, my political opinions, my reform ideas, my health, my mind, my body, my pride, my ambitions, my all. The Lord, take me, cleanse me, make me wholly thine through the blood of Jesus Christ. What is your obsession? There's the old hymn about the wondrous cross that said, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all what is your obsession let's stand together